Is he majestic in your life? If he's not already majestic, he wants to be majestic. Amen? Let's give him just a hand clap of praise while we do a few things. It's a busy day at Victory. Amen? I think God's okay with busy days. How about that? God's okay with anything as long as it honors and praises him. How many come today to praise God? Well, this morning, I've got a treat for you. I want to show you some pics, some pictures for us old people. Some pics. The young people say pics. I say pictures. I'm old. Anyway, look at some of these pictures. Guess who that handsome young lad is? Hey, hey that's me. That's me. Oh, that's me. That's my graduation picture on the right. We had a lot of hair back in the 70s. Anybody remember those days? And I didn't have near as much hair as most of the guys in my class. Anyway, proceed. Next. Next, or the next one. Oh, there we go, the athlete of the hour. Look at, oh gosh, go back to that first one there. i got to show off my legs. There they are. Back then, we didn't wear those shorts that drug the floor. They were way up here. Our socks were also way up here, but they were way up there. Football. I had a lot of fun in high school. Okay, now you can move on. Crazy legs piercy is what they call me. Anyway, you're staying way too long now. <laughs> you didn't know you had royalty in the house either, did you? That was when I was homecoming king on the right. That was when we had our little rock and roll band called the Dukes of Earl. <laughs> yeah. There's Uncle Rico right there. <laughs> I don't know what that stash was all about, but anyway, that's me holding Austin when we had just had Austin. That might be the last one. Is that the last one? That is the last one. Anyway, when I look at these pictures, they seem like a long time ago. But when I stand up here and I really realize, hey, I'm 60 years old, I'm thinking, wait a minute, these aren't so long ago. These are like a blink of an eye. They're just like yesterday. How fast those 60 years went by. Let me ask you this morning, how many of you have ever looked back on your life and wondered, where did the years go? Where did all the years go? Where did time go? We've all done that, especially us older folks. Well, we're going to finish up our sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes today where we're looking at King Solomon, the guy that had it all. He had everything. And today, in this last chapter, he's going to sum up what he has learned about this life. You know how when you go to a concert, they usually save their greatest hit for the last song of the night? Well, that's kind of what Solomon is doing in the last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. I like how Chuck Swindoll describes uh, this chapter. He says, can't you just see old granddad Solomon leaning over, stroking his beard, and looking patiently into the eyes of his grandson and saying, Now listen, young man, and don't forget what I'm saying to you. Swindoll says, Interesting, interestingly enough, he's not speaking to a grandson. He's speaking to all people down through the centuries of time, and that includes you and me. So even though this text that we're going to be looking at today was written thousands of years ago, he's talking to you and I today. He's talking to us today. So I want to dive into the final chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's the final chapter really of Solomon's whole life, at least here on this earth. Chapter 12, verse 1, listen to what Solomon says. 
Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come. The King James Version says, before the evil days come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Listen to this. Statistics show that 95% of all believers come to Christ before age 50. And the most actually come to Christ before they're 30 years of age. So I would say from that, youth is the time to find God. There are two things in this text that stand out to me about Solomon I think is interesting. First of all, he's an old man at this point, And he's actually pleading with young men and women not to forget about Jesus. Not to forget about Jesus in this small window of time that you have in your life that's actually going to affect the 30, 40, 50 years ahead. Actually, it's going to affect your eternity ahead. He's saying, don't forget about your Creator now. Now while you're trying to choose the right husband, the right wife. Now when you're trying to choose the right job, the right career. Now when you're trying to choose your, the right future, maybe the school or the college that you're going to uh, go to. He says, don't forget about Jesus now because the way you handle the now is going to affect your 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years, eternity ahead. And it's been my experience, not to insult anybody, but old miserable people were at one time young, dumb people. I'll say that, amen? Old miserable people at one time were young, dumb, dumb people, and most of us have been on both sides, a lot of us have been on both sides of that. But how many times do we plead with our young single women, just wait on the godly man to come along. Don't just take the first one that comes along, be patient, or how many times do we plead with our young men to wait for a godly woman? What I'm actually saying is, we have all these choices to make now, young people. We have all of these choices to make now that are going to play out in the next 30, 40, 50 years of your life. So I believe in this text, Solomon is actually stepping up and he's pleading to us. He's pleading with us, saying, hey, I've tried all this. I've been there. I've done that. I've done it all. He says, don't forget about it, don't forget about it now. He says, don't not pray now. Don't run from God now. Press into him now. He's saying, young person or old, uh, old person? Young woman or old woman? Young man or young woman? He's, he's saying today, if there was ever a time to press into God, it's right now. Get that in your heart this morning. Whether you're young or you consider yourself old, there's never been a time like right now to press into God. The King James Version I mentioned a minute ago says, before the evil days come. Notice the aging process and death is called evil according to the Scriptures. I wondered, well, why was that? And then I remembered that death wasn't God's plan in the first place. Death came when sin came, right? I mean, when sin came into the garden, death came into the picture. Then he goes on to describe the aging process. I think it's a reality check for many of us that we ain't what we used to be. Amen? We ain't what we used to be. We can't run, jump, twist, cartwheel, or turn, or do any of those things that we used to do in our prime. And like it or not, all of us are getting older. You realize that? Like it or not, every second that goes by, we're getting older. All of us are aging. The other day, I talked to an older guy, and he mentioned how he had tried to straighten the wrinkles out in his socks, and he realized he wasn't even wearing any. I, I mean, think about that. We kind of joke about aging, and I believe it's kind of a uh, self-preservation thing. It's kind of a coping mechanism, because deep down, we don't like the thought of aging. I mean, we're fearful of it. We kind of dread uh, the aging process, and we're willing to do anything to avoid it. 
I mean, why do you think cosmeticians have built multi-million dollar businesses trying to tell people how to do it? Why do you think exercise enthusiasts uh, have sold, sold more books, more programs, more equipment trying to tell people how to do it? Well, no matter what you do, no matter what you eat, how much you exercise, guess what? You're not going to change. You're getting older. We're all getting older. So why not take a moment to listen to me, what the wisest man in the world has to say about this aging process. Look at verse 2. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark. When he says light, that's a reference to our mental vitality. He's actually talking about the mind with its powers of reason with its powers of memory and imagination, it begins to fade when we get older. Like the fading of the sun, he says. I think he's talking about the reasoning power of the brain, and I would say it's the greatest gift that God has ever given us. As we get older, it begins to lose its ability, and the memory fades. That's one of the marks of old age. There's actually three main marks of old age. The first one is losing your memory. And for the life of me, I can't remember the other two. Amen. <laughs> That's why this verse describes, that's what this verse is describing, how our memory fades as we get older, how our imagination fades as we get older, and it associates it with the sun and the stars, like the stars give way to a brand new day. That's how our memory fades. It's like all of a sudden you can't find your car keys, like ever. We're taking herbs that we are supposed to help our memory, but we can't remember what those herbs are called. And our minds begin to fade where they were once sharp, they become dull. And so Solomon says this, and get this, he says, when you have your mind, when it's strong, when it's alert, when it's creative, full of wit, when it's sharp, that's when we need to chase after Jesus and live for him. Don't wait till you're older, do it now. Don't wait till tomorrow, do it now. Then he goes on to say, and the clouds return after the rain. That's a reference of kind of a senility that happens, um, kind of a second childhood that happens as we grow older. As a child, as a baby, I'll put it that way. There's three simple things that we focused on, eating, sleeping, and going to the bathroom. Amen? You kind of know where I'm going with this. As we get older, that cycle returns, eating, sleeping, and going to the bathroom. I'm making some of us feel real old today. Amen? Verse 3, when the keepers of the house tremble, that's a reference to our arms and our hands, that the older we get, the keepers of the house sometimes fail us. They kind of betray us. Simple tasks like putting on your wristwatch become hard. Simple tasks like doing the buttons in your shirt, buttoning up your shirt be become hard, and after a while they become impossible. And what has kept your house, these arms and these hands for all these years, as we get older, they begin to be weak. They begin to tremble. Then he says, and the strong men stoop. This is a reference to our legs. The strongest part of our bodies, when we start to get older, they begin to get weaker. They start to shake. They start to tremble. Have you ever noticed how older people don't take as big a steps as they used to? They might have started out walking like this, but after a while, they're just kind of cutting down their size of steps. Pretty soon, it's more of a shuffle, right? I mean, pretty soon, it just slows down little by little. It's difficult. I think a sign of the onset of old age, somebody said once, is when your knees buckle but your belt won't. Amen? I mean, think about that. Some of us are starting to realize that already. Amen. <laughs> and Solomon says, when the grinders cease because they are few. You have any idea what he's talking about there, the grinders? Our teeth. 
We have no teeth as we get older. We lose our teeth. It's hard to chew grape nut cereal without any teeth. Amen? Just think about that way. And those looking through the windows grow dim. What could it be talking about there? Our eyesight. As we get older, we, all, we develop all sorts of eye problems. I can't tell you how many older people I've heard gone in for cataract surgery and other eye problems that develop. And me at 60 years old, I'm realizing the signs of this. Yeah, I don't want to admit it, but I probably need glasses right now. But we all, as we get older, have a hard time seeing things up close. Amen? I'm having Cheryl make my notes in a whole lot bigger font than I used to. I'm having to hold my notes out as far as I can to read them sometimes. So as we get older, it affects our eyesight. Verse 4, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades... That's just a reference meaning you're not going to eat corn on the cob anymore. Amen? Think about that. When people rise up at the sound of birds, that's a reference to as we get older, we don't get a full night's sleep or a good night's sleep like we used to. You might go to bed early, get up early, but you're up on the hour, all the hours in between. Amen? Then he said, but all their songs grow faint. He's saying, when we get older, our hearing isn't what it used to be. Our hearing... uh, becomes weaker, we have a harder time hearing. With what I've said so far, doesn't that make aging sound so so fun? Aren't you just excited about getting older? I mean, somebody recently said the golden years aren't so golden. I heard another guy say, well, it takes all of my gold just to pay my doctor bills. Amen? Verse 5, when people are afraid of heights and of the dangers in the streets, this is the fear that accompanies getting older. As the world seems to be going faster and faster, what are we doing as we get older? We're slowing down more and more. Our body can't move as fast. We can't see as well. So we're not as apt to be uh, out on the highway driving or we get nervous even walking through a busy uh, city sidewalk with a crowd of people. That's why older people have a tendency, the older they get, to stay closer to home. And then he says, when the almond trees blossom. When the almond tree blossoms, the thing about the almond tree is when it blossoms, It turns white, and the wind comes along and blows the blossoms away. That's a reference to our hair, or actually a lack of hair, either one. And it says, and the grasshopper drags itself along. That's a reference to how hard it is to even move as we get older. I don't know about you, but when I get out of bed in the morning, man, sometimes I'm aching. Sometimes I'm hurting all over. My joints are stiff, and I get up, and I kind of shuffle to the bathroom. The other day, I threw my back out, and I'm, for the life of me, trying to think, what did I do? And Cheryl said, well, what did you do? And I think, well, I think I just got out of bed, amen? (laughs) Threw my back out getting out of bed. Listen to this last one here. Then Solomon says, and desire no longer is stirred. Anybody have an idea what that is? That means your bow chicka wow wow is gone, amen? (laughs) He's talking about intimacy. I also find it interesting that good old Solomon put this as the last thing to go. Amen? That's the last thing to go. Let's just say, to keep it clean, let's just say that a lot has changed in Solomon's life as he's gotten older. What he's saying is basically, do you like to go fishing? You won't always. Do you like to go hunting? You won't always. Do you like music? You won't always. Do you like art? You won't always. Do you love your family? Well, if you live long enough, you won't even know your family is what he's saying. But if you break it all down, what Solomon is saying, bottom line is we've got today. We've got this day to live. We've got one life. 
We've got one set of teeth. We've got one set of knees. We've got one set of arms, hands, and feet. We've got one sharp mind. We've got the ability to see, the ability to hear, the ability to use the gifts that God has given us. So Solomon is saying, why wait? Why not experience his grace, his blessings of this life right now while you can? And why not live for Jesus with everything you've got? Why not live with Jesus with everything you have in your heart? Then he says, then people go to their eternal homes and mourners go about the streets. This is good because that's a reference to the fact that death isn't the end. Even though we die, it's not over. It says man goes to his eternal home. So the grave is not the end. There is life. There's an existence beyond this life. Go back to the very first verse that I read today. He talks about don't forget about God in your youth. But this is kind of a sobering thought. Some of us won't get to be that old. Some of us may not get to be here. There's no guarantee that we're going to be here in five years. There's no guarantee that we're going to be here next year. There's no guarantee that we're going to be here in the next five minutes. Solomon, being the upbeat person that he is, keeps on going. He starts bringing out a whole list of things that could cause unexpected death. Sometimes he's such a happy guy, amen? But I think he's trying to drill home a point for all of us to remember. Verse 6 says, remember him, remember God, before the silver cord is severed. That's a reference to our spinal cord. You realize that? That main nerve that runs down the center of our back that's protected by our spines. If it's damaged, broken, or diseased, it can lead to sudden death. And before the golden bowl is broken, that's our head. Before our heads are broken. And before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, that's your heart. Heart disease and cardiac arrest are the main causes of death in the United States. Probably all over the world. And before the wheel is broken at the well, that's your circulation of blood. Are you catching on? All this snapping, breaking, and shattering are a metaphor that Solomon used to describe the end of your life. Your life coming to an end. He said your life coming to an end is like a pitcher that's sitting on a shelf that falls off and shatters in a million pieces that's absolutely irreparable. So Solomon tells us that's why you need to remember God before all of this happens. Verse 7, And the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Do you realize that all of us, every one of us, have a built-in part created by God that longs for eternity? There's eternity built into the heart of every man, every woman, every person on this planet that seeks for something more than just this life and what this life can offer. But if that part is empty, you're going to be unfulfilled. If that part is empty, you're going to be lost going through this journey of life. If that part is empty and you don't realize what the key of life is, it's going to be meaningless. Life is going to be absolutely meaningless. So Solomon says in verse 8, Meaningless, meaningless, exclamation point, exclamation point, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. He's saying a life lived without ever realizing what your life is here for is futile. It's in vain. I mean, it's meaningless. It's a waste. And then Solomon wraps up the end of the book with this, calls it the conclusion of the matter. Verse 13, Solomon says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. 
I believe he's posing the question to all of us, do you think partying is going to make your life a whole lot better? Solomon says, I tried that, I did that. I threw epic parties, I threw the biggest parties that money could buy, and it didn't. You want to know if sex is going to make your life better? I have 700 wives, five, 300 concubines, and it didn't. You want to know if comfort will make your life better? I had all the money in the world, could buy all the comforts that this world could offer, and it didn't satisfy. You want to know if people catering to your every need? You want to know if being successful in business? You want to know if leaving your mark on the world is going to bring fulfillment into your life? Solomon says, I've done them all. I've tried them all, and here's my conclusion, and it's a simple conclusion to a complex problem. Fear God and keep His commandments. Two things. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. That duty of all mankind could be translated, and this is the wholeness of mankind. Because do you realize that's what we were created for? That's the only thing that's going to fill the emptiness and the void in our lives is that we fear God, that we be uh, acquainted, we understand who He is, and we place our faith in Him. And then you can't leave out the second part and keep His commands. That's where real wholeness is found. And that's actually where we're going to be judged at the end of our days. Look at verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Anybody else find that a little horrifying? A little bit nerve-wracking to realize that everything we've ever done, good or bad, is going to be judged by God. Here's the deal. There's no secrets when it comes to God. We aren't hiding anything from God. He knows everything that goes on. He knows every thought in your mind. He knows every word that comes out of your mouth before it even comes out of your mouth. He knows every thought of your heart. He knows every intent. He knows every motive in your life. He knows every lie, every deception. Every lovelessness, uh, every bit of lovelessness that you have and that you've shown toward other people. What I'm saying is Solomon is telling us everything's going to be exposed in the end. It's going to come out, be in the open. So he's basically saying now's the day to get it right. Now's the day to stop hiding it because you're really not hiding it. Give those things over to God. Surrender. Let him go over to God. And I want to close with the two words that Solomon closes with, fear God. This is a hard one for us to comprehend because we always associate fear with dread, right? Uh, something scary of running from God or Him being uh, this threat in our lives. That's never been the picture, biblical picture of who God is. A lot of us have that biblical picture in our life, and you know why? It's because we grew up in a church where they portrayed God as this big God, bully of a God, sitting on a throne way up high with a big stick in His hand, and when you mess up, He's going to whack you with it, amen? Some of us have been raised in that kind of an environment. Let me just tell you, that's not a true picture of who our God is. That's some really bad theology. But for the unbeliever, I'll say this, the fear of God is the fear of judgment, the judgment of God. It's the fear of an eternal death and if, an eternal separation from God. For the believer, though, the fear of God is something totally different. You know what it is? It's reverence. It's having a holy respect for God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 probably puts it best. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with what? Reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. That reverence and all that that scripture brings out there is exactly what the fear of God is and should mean to every Christian. 
That's the motivating factor that should cause us to surrender over everything to the creator of the universe. I love what Billy Graham once said. He said, we usually fear something such as a vicious dog or a violent storm when we expect it to harm us. In other words, we fear something that has no concern for us and is the source of constant danger to us. He continued, but that isn't what God is like. God created us and he also loves us. And the proof is that he sent his only son into this world to die for our sins. Would he have done that if he hated us? No, of course not. Then he goes and gives this Bible verse. The Bible says this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I heard a story about a man and his son reminds me about this topic, the subject of fearing God. The man said he went to visit a friend and took his son, Todd, who was only six years old, along with him. When they knocked on his friend's door, he opened the door, and there with his friend stood this huge dog staring Todd face to face, a giant dog. The father sent Todd back to the car to grab something that they had forgotten. The dog went loping up behind Todd with this low growl. Todd was terrified, and the friend leaned out the door. And he shouted to Todd, this six-year-old, Todd, maybe you better not run. He doesn't like it when people want run away from him. Then the friend said, just walk beside him. You can even put your hand around his neck. Todd's dad said a light bulb came on in his mind at that moment. He said, God's a whole lot like that. Horrifically dangerous to run away from, and we should be terrified running away from God. But if we'll just stay with him, that growl is a growl of protection not destruction. And we can put our arms around his neck. What he's saying is God definitely wants to walk with you and me step by step and wants to have a growl of protection instead of a growl of destruction. But so many times I believe God is having a hard time keeping up with us because we're running from God. Today, make it a day that you stop running. If you're running from God, instead of running from God, run back to God. To fear God and keep His commandments, to me, is to discover the real meaning of wholeness. And who doesn't want that? We all want to be whole, right? We don't want our life to be broken, fractured, in a million pieces going in a million different directions. How many want peace in your life? How many want God in your life? How many want Him calling the shots instead of you calling the shots? I know it's our nature to want to call the shots and take control. But it's God's nature that we become under His control. That we surrender everything, every decision, every detail over to Him. We want our lives to be stable. We want our lives to be solid, balanced, and whole. But as Solomon closes out this book, get a picture of Solomon. This guy is old. This guy is old. He looks back on his life, everything that he had, and he had it all. All that he had done, and he practically did it all. And his still... His main point is still this. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before all the pressures come upon you. Actually, before all this stuff that I've talked about in this sermon actually happens, remember Him. Then he says, and this is the true secret of wholeness. Fear God, two simple things, and keep His commandments. I believe in the end He's telling us, don't live your life and come to the end of your life and find out it was meaningless because you tried to live it without Him. Remember the first week of our sermon series, I gave you an equation. Everything minus God equals nothing. 
but everything with God equals everything. Everything minus God is actually meaningless. You know, if you look at the story of Solomon, especially in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon had a whole lot of regrets. And you know why I believe God enabled him or allowed him to have those regrets is so that you and I wouldn't have to. So that we could read a book, you could hear a sermon, you could hear a message, and hear it from Solomon's perspective. God gave him all the wisdom that anyone would ever desire. In the beginning, God says, here's a blank check, Solomon. You can have and do anything you want to do. And what did he ask for? He asked for wisdom. But when he asked for wisdom, then God says, since you asked for the right thing and not power and authority and this, that, and the other, I'm going to give you everything else. So I believe Solomon's whole thing became a grand experiment in life that God has used down through the centuries of time to get us back on track, to get our priorities back in the right place. Are your priorities in the right place today? Are you trying to satisfy your life with everything that Solomon tried to satisfy it, with money, with women, with, with things, with, with uh, uh, success? In the end, he said, none of it mattered because he tried to do it all without God. Could you stand to your feet this morning? I believe this is the moment. If you feel like your life's a little derailed, it's the time to get back on track to get back on track with God. So with every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, we've heard this message. Father, your word says that it will never return void, but will accomplish all those things it was sent to do. So Father God, I pray that this message would accomplish all that it needs to become in our lives. That Father God, if our priorities are a little out of whack, or maybe a lot out of whack, that, Father God, we would have heard this message deep within our spirits today and realize you're a God that's for us and not against us. You're a God that has good plans ahead of us and not destructive, not destructive plans. That, Lord God, you want to have a growl of protection in our lives, not destruction. So, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would use this message to help change our hearts, our minds, and our priorities. Let the words of Solomon guide us to walk with you and to live for you and not so much for ourselves. Father, help us to surrender everything, not just a few things, but everything over to you to find true meaning and purpose for every day of our lives. I thank you for Solomon's life. Lord God, in a weird way, I thank you for Solomon's failures, that I don't have to, we don't have to fail the same way he did. And I believe with all of my heart that he doesn't want any of us to fail like he did, and I definitely know you don't want us to fail in the same ways he did. So, Father, get our minds on track today. Let every life represented here get focused upon you. Give you our whole life as we surrender it over to you today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. And if you agree with that, say amen with me. Before you head out, we're having a baptism service. It's going to start in 15 minutes. You're welcome to uh, be dismissed if you have to go. But if you'd like to celebrate the baptisms with us, we'll get started in 15 minutes. God bless you all. Have a great, awesome week.